If you were here this past Sunday morning, you heard me close my message by mentioning places in the New Testament where Christ performed miracles. They're all known to you. The first noted or recorded miracle was when he turned water into wine at the wedding feast, when he fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and the two fish, when he walked on the water, when he healed the daughter of Jairus, when he healed the woman with the issue of blood. And after the mention of each of those, I followed with a statement like this, and those who observed these things thought Jesus might be the Son of God. I then continued by walking through brief segments of the week of passion, Jesus being brought before the judgment hall, standing before Pilate and Herod back to Pilate, Jesus being marched up a lonely hill called Golgotha when he hung upon the cross. And then after I mentioned those, I said that the best that could be said is that the people who observed these things thought Jesus might be the Son of God. But it was still a question for many in their minds. And then we briefly touched on the time that he was in the grave, and then on the day that he rose again, which therewith was proving that he is the Son of God. Actually, I didn't stop there. I went on further. I I brought the idea right down to today and how God is proving to each one of us in the distinctive nature of each of our lives that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to pick up on that same idea um, tonight for just a few minutes before we go to the table of the Lord. Because I believe this idea of understanding that Jesus is the Son of God is it's the core fundamental question of Christianity to every man, every woman, every child. For the way you deal with this fundamental question becomes the very basis of your faith. How you grapple with the issue of the deity of Christ is core to your understanding of salvation. It is core to your view of the crucifixion and the resurrection. It is core, how you grapple with the deity of Christ is core to your relationship with God. It's fundamental uh, to your perception of forgiveness and redemption and how you will spend all of eternity. And the question I'm talking about that is facing all of us is simply this. Was Jesus truly the Son of God? And if he was, did he come to die for my sin? And did he really love me enough to leave the splendor of heaven, to come to earth and die on a cross, be resurrected back to life so that I could spend all of eternity with him? The question is, was Jesus truly the Son of God. Now, I would love to believe that everyone in this room tonight has no difficulty believing that Jesus was the Son of God. I, I think that's probably the reason why you're here. But you would be surprised at the number of people that I encounter and that I deal with who still carry haunting spiritual doubts with them everywhere they go. And I'm not just talking about people who are outside of the church or people in the world. I'm talking about people who've actually been in the church for 20 and 30 and and 40 years. Now, they've figured out how to mask or hide their questions. 
They might not discuss those questions openly in any kind of group or small group. Nonetheless, it is apparent when you get them in a situation where the barriers have all fallen down and, and the masks are all off and they feel comfortable enough, they, will, they confess that they struggle with their doubts about their faith. And at the core of every doubt I have discovered is this question. Was Jesus really the Son of God? Now, you and I might, maybe you've settled this in your mind a long time ago, and you might say, well, why would they, why would they doubt that? Well, I, I can tell you some of the reasons why, several reasons actually. First of all, because the spirit of the age in which we live today, folks, is incessantly pushing an agenda which causes doubt about the deity of Christ. Uh, another reason is I'm not really sure that my generation has done the best job teaching our children about the deity of Christ, to be quite honest about it. Another reason is every influence that is available from media to music, from education to politics, is infiltrating the hearts and minds of this current generation. Am I right about that? Causing them to doubt the reality of Christ, which includes doubting his deity, that he truly was the Son of God. Also, there's some very vocal religious groups today who teach that Jesus was not God. He was, he was just a man, or he possibly was an angel. Uh, people like Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, other groups like this have always had a problem with the deity of Christ and most likely always will. I sometimes encounter folks who have um, rubbed into some of these kinds of groups of people and they'll say, you know, they say this, Pastor, and that sounds really good. Uh-huh. They say this, and that kind of sounds like things that we say at, at Bethesda. It kind of sounds like, and then they say, and they do a lot of good with this and that and the other thing. Yeah, well, they might. But what do they believe about Jesus? Was Jesus truly the Son of God? So I'm asking you tonight to consider four quick things with me. The first is this. If Jesus was not truly God, if he was not, suppose that he was the highest of created beings. Now, please understand, created being means that they are not the creator, <laughs> There's a category of the created beings, but they were created by the creator. But suppose that he was the highest of created beings, and I have sinned. Can Almighty God make someone he has created, be it Pilate or Herod or the Roman soldier or whomever, kill Jesus, another created being, for my sin? I can tell you not even a human judge would allow that. It is a complete violation of all principles of justice. Suppose I sin and my mother or my father comes and says, no, 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 I will die in the place of my son. They, they, they love me and they say, I, I, will, I will take the punishment. I know he's the one who's sinned. I know he's the one who's in the wrong, but kill me for my son's sin. What judge in all the world would allow my mother or my father to be hanged in my place. They would not. A just God would never kill another created being for my sin. That cannot be. This is why I profoundly believe that we have to take Jesus out of the category of created beings because he's God. He has always been God. In the beginning was the Word. 
He has no beginning. He has no end. He is not a created being. He is the creator. And let's be sure he is firmly in that category. For he was and is as part of the Godhead, fully God. Is there an amen in this house tonight? For those who would say that Christ was not the Son of God, the second thing to consider is this. Even if God permits one other created being or a holy angel to die for me, he could only die for one person. Cannot die for the billions upon billions who have sinned. Only one for one. That's the second reason why it cannot be a created being to die for our sin. The third reason why it cannot be a created being to die for sin is this, and I ask you to listen very, very carefully with me here. Dying on the cross is not the price for my sin. Physical death is not the punishment for sin. How dare I say that? Because if physical death is the punishment for sin, then when I die, I've paid the price. If physical death is the punishment for sin, then everyone who dies should go to heaven because they paid the price of sin by their death when they die. So then, what is the punishment for your sin? The punishment for your sin, the punishment for my sin, is hell itself. That's what we deserve for our sin. And if Jesus did not suffer hell on the cross, then he has not paid the price for my sin. But he did suffer hell. And let's be clear about what hell is. Hell is to be forsaken by God the Father, which is exactly what Jesus experienced for three hours. Hell may or may not be a physical place. I've heard it argued both ways. We know it is a real place. Think only of the, uh, the, what Jesus gives us of the rich man and Lazarus. That story proves it is a reality. It is real. But hell is to be forsaken by God. And that is exactly what Jesus ex uh, experienced from you and from me on the cross. That's why he struggled when he was in Gethsemane, when he said, Father, take this cup away from me. The problem for Jesus was not necessarily physical death. He had not a particular issue with dying a physical death. He would have probably been willing to do that a million times over. But the separation from the Father, being forsaken by the Father, that's the issue. Oh, Father, let this cup pass from me. Do I have to go through that? You and I have been together since eternity past. And then some angel might show up and say, but Jesus, it's only for three hours and then you'll come back again. And I can almost hear Jesus cry out and say, no, 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 no. I cannot bear to lose his presence for one second. And sadly, you and I and the church in general, we don't have that type of attitude regarding losing fellowship with God. Sadly, we tell a lie, become angry with someone, have an argument with our wife, and lose fellowship with God. And when we lose fellowship with God for one hour, it doesn't really seem to bother us. It doesn't really seem to be that big of a deal. Why? And this is what convicts Dan Smith. Because we do not know how to value his presence. 
We have lost the ability to value fellowship, true fellowship with God. Please understand, Jesus didn't want to lose fellowship with the Father for one second because he knew that fellowship with the Father was the most important thing in all of life. And you become a, a spiritual man, you become a spiritual woman when you realize that fellowship with God is the most important thing in life. I never want to lose it for one second. And I'm asking God, even in this season, that the intensity of my heart for fellowship with him, being in his presence, is intensified. That's what Jesus struggled in Gethsemane. Sometimes when dealing with folks in different circumstances, I often take an angle, many of my staff have heard me talk about this, and sometimes we'll say, okay, if it's a real messy th situation that's happened, we're trying to find our way through it or trying to find our way out of it, sometimes I might say, what if this played out another way? What if this happened another way? You know, the, the path it's on looks not good. What if it played out another way? And so, you know, this could have happened some other way. So imagine with me, if you will, just for a moment, that the Father said to Jesus while he was in Gethsemane, okay, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. When Jesus said, Father, let this cup pass from me. What if he said, the Father said, okay, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. You've lived a perfect life. Just come from Gethsemane straight up to heaven. But you must understand, Jesus, if you do that, Dan Smith will go to hell. And Jesus would say, what? Did you say Dan Smith would go to hell? Then, Father, I have no choice. I must go to the cross. What if it had played out another way with every other option available to him? song we used to sing in my childhood in the church, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and for me. He could have done any number of things because he was fully God. He could have done any number of things. The options were all there for him, except one option is the only one that would save your soul and my soul. And church tonight, that's the one he chose for us. Hallelujah. The day the truth of that really opens in your heart, blossoms in your heart, you will probably weep on that day when you really understand the price that he paid. And you'll say, Lord, now I know, now I know. I see your love for me when you were in Gethsemane. We sang about it just a moment ago. When I was a child, I learned what happened to you in Gethsemane, Lord Jesus. When I was a child, I was taught how you were tortured along the Via Dolorosa. When I was a child, they told me what took place on Golgotha, that you died for me, and the whipping and the beating and the crown of thorns placed upon your head. But now, Jesus, I see in Gethsemane the mature understanding or the adult understanding of what the cross was for you. You suffered hell that I might not ever have to go there. And I don't know, 
Ladies and gentlemen, tonight what this does for you, but I can tell you what this idea does within my own heart. Understanding how valuable the presence of Jesus is in my life. Understanding how important fellowship with a holy God who cannot, who cannot allow sin within us. It has brought in me a tremendous hatred for sin and what the enemy does and how it separates us from God. It's caused me to intensify my time before the Lord and say, Lord, keep me from sin. Lord, keep us as a people from sin because we know what it did, for, did to you, not just the physical agony of beating and all that you suffered. I cannot behold the Lamb of God and not be changed because you went to hell and you lost fellowship with the Father because of my thoughts in my head. You went to hell because of my immature anger. You went to hell because of my unforgiving spirit. You suffered hell because of me. So he did face hell. Jesus, the divine Son of God, faced hell itself. The fourth and final idea to consider is this. At the end of three hours, his fellowship was restored with the Father. And there's something very, very distinctive to note about this moment. At the beginning of the three hours, he did not call him Father. You remember what he said. He said, my God, my God, why? And yet in eternity past, hear me, church, he never called him my God. Jesus never called the Father my God in eternity past. Jesus always referred to him as my father. That's what sons do. It's what sons say. That's how they speak to their father. So in all of his life on earth, he never called him God. He always referred to him as my father. But when he hung upon that cross with my sin upon him, he was hanging there as a criminal before the judge of the universe, and he could not call him father simply because of the countless sins of this guy right here that were upon him. And what he said was, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Please understand that in that moment, he's now in hell saying, why have you forsaken me? As if he didn't know except to say that when you're in hell, you don't understand anything about God. But one thing he said, even if you have forsaken me, which I don't understand, I still call you my God. He was not saying, oh God, in some sort of a defiant way. He was saying, my God, my God, I may not know why you have forsaken me, but you are still my God. I may not understand why it appears you've turned your back on me. I may not understand why I am not in fellowship with, with you tonight or at this moment, but you are still my God. Bethesda, that is submission at its finest. Some people might say that three hours was not enough time for hell to be experienced when you understand that the punishment for sin is eternity in hell? Can a created being suffer eternity in hell in three hours? No, the answer is no. 
but an infinite being can suffer all the pains of eternity even in one second. Eternal punishment can be experienced by an infinite being in only a moment. So if Jesus was a created being and was not infinite, then my sins are still there unpunished. But I've laid out for you in the last few minutes this evening four reasons why I believe that Jesus could not have been a created being and was, in fact, the divine Son of God. He was Almighty God who took my punishment and yours. Who's grateful for that tonight? Was Jesus the Son of God? I made up my mind a very long time ago, as many of you did. And when I did, I learned the old song that says, Oh, sweet wonder, oh, sweet wonder, Jesus the Son of God, how I adore Thee, how I love Thee, Jesus the Son of God.